0: Our first scripture reading this morning is in the New Testament in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above.
1: Our second passage is in Philippians Philippians chapter one verses twenty seven through thirty. Philippians one twenty-seven through thirty. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, um, for those of you, let's let's work back through where we've been just a second and remind ourselves where we've been. Um, The author of the book of Philippians or the letter to the Philippians is the Apostle Paul. And this church had its beginning, if you remember, in Acts 16. It's good. You know, one of my Bible, I told the men the other day, one of the Bible reading programs I, I was involved in for about five years, I had to read the book of Acts every month. Just like some people say, read the book of Proverbs every month. I read the book of Proverbs every month. I read the book of Acts every month. And he had to read 10 chapters per day. It's a, lot. It's a big load. But if you read it, you'll find out. This is where, where the church of Philippi begins in Acts 16. And so the apostle Paul, remember he's wondering where to go. And God directs him to go to this Macedonian city. And he begins to preach the gospel. And he, he goes out. There's no synagogue there. So he goes out there by a river where a, a, a whole bunch of women are praying. He preaches the gospel, and Lydia, the Bible tells us that God opened up her heart to receive the message preached by Paul. And so Lydia is saved, and she and her household, they are baptized. And then he uh, cast a demon out of a slave girl who was making a lot of money for her owner's And surely she was part of this church. And the Philippian jailer, remember, they'd been beaten. After they cast that demon out, they paid for it. They paid for it with being beaten on their back with rods. And they were cast into a prison. And surely the Philippian jailer we talk about in Acts 16 was probably the one who tied his hands to the shackles, his ankles to the shackles. And they're praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And an earthquake occurs. And he draws his spear, I mean, his uh, sword, to kill himself. And they tell him not to do that. He rushes in and asks, what must he do to be saved? And they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then the jailer went from being the one who's taking him and arresting him. He's taking him out. He's taking him into his home. He's now a believer. So the church begins there in Philippi in this manner. And then we look in verses 1 through 11. The apostle, he greets them. And we made a point that they are remembering Him. It's not just Him remembering them in prayer. They're remembering Him in their prayers. They're partnering with Him in the gospel. They're praying with Him and they're sending Him money and they're sending Him their man, Epaphroditus. And He talks to them about the fact that God's begun a work in them and He's going to continue that work until the day of Jesus Christ. And He prays for them to grow in their love for one another. He prays for them to grow in their Christian character. And then we've talked about the fact that he briefly explains, I'm in prison. But don't be, don't be alarmed. You, at first, you know, I'm in prison. Oh, no. He's got the chafing going on in his wrists and his ankles. Oh, no. He says, oh, don't be alarmed. Yeah, I'm distressed about this stuff, surely. And I would rather not be in prison, surely. But let me tell you what's going on. These guards are becoming Christians. And in Caesar's staff, they're hearing the gospel. And people in Caesar's own home are coming to know Jesus Christ. And don't you know that was alarming to Caesar himself. And so then the pre, not only is, it, is the gospel going from the inside out, but the gospel is being preached outside in the city of Rome. And there are those who are preaching the gospel from impure motives. And there are those who are preaching the gospel from pure motives. But whether pure or impure motives are being used to preach the gospel, he says Christ is being preached. And he believes, in verse 25, that he's going to be set free and he's going to be able to come and do them some good in the future. Now following all of this, this is our background, this is where we've been. Following all of this, he focuses on one verse. It's so interesting because we talked about last, uh, yesterday in our, our book study Um, Calvin made a comment that there's just one thing out there we need to be doing of course as I read the book and I reflected on it he he says be holy for, for I am holy God says be holy for I am holy well here's the one thing Paul is going to stick out there to them and it's in verse 27 it's the highly significant command in this whole book it's verse 27. He says this. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a series of commands. Remember that verse we read? Let me let me see. Let me look it up here. Remember the verse we read here? 1 Peter 1.13. Prepare your minds. Keep sober. Fix your hope. Do not. Be this. How many commands are in this one set? set? This is one command. Only Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the one command. Now, I want to show you, first of all, the crucial importance of the command. I'm going to get to the title at the end. The title is the Citizens of the Kingdom. I'm going to get to the title at the end, but I want you to see the crucial importance of the command. Now, the word only, many times when we use the word only, it always means something that isn't a class by itself. Now, I want you, if you have time, you go read the book of Luke, and you will find that Luke loves to show Jesus loves the onlys. Did you know that? Jesus has a special place for the onlys. The only son of the widow of name. The only daughter of Jairus, the synagogue official. Remember, she died. The only son. Remember the son, the demon possessed son, who came and brought his son to the disciples, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and when Jesus comes down, he takes care of business. Remember the only. Well, something in a class by itself. But here, this term "only." One commentator put it this way: He says it takes. See, I I pick up on stuff because I I think about all this stuff all these years. It takes the form of an uplifted warning finger. The bony finger. Nathan had a bony finger and he poked it in David's face. And Samuel had a bony finger and he poked it in Israel's face. We're going to see him poke it again in Israel's face tonight. Come and hear that sermon. But this only takes the warning finger stance. There's one thing. And there's one thing only that's of great importance. There's a lot of stuff that's important, but there's one thing that's really important. And it's this. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, whether I come to you or whether I remain absent from you, here's the thing. It's great that you pray for me. It's great that you love the gospel preached by me. It's great that you give me money and help me. It's great that you sent your, your preacher to me to take care of me. Now remember, think about this. If you're in a prison back in those days, you don't get three square meals a day. You don't have TV. You're just in one spot. It's dark. It's dirty. It probably doesn't smell too good. And you need people to help you. So there's all these wonderful things they're doing. He says, this is all great. But let me tell you the one thing that's most important. Live a holy life. Conduct yourself in such a way, in a manner that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the crucial thing. Now, young people, you know, as you grow older, you get more freedom, don't you? Look at Young people, you get more freedom as you grow older. Let me tell you, one of those freedoms is you get to stay up later. And mom and dad, they, they kind of learn to, mom and dad learns to go out and have dinner without taking you with them. <laughs> Maybe that's coming. And so, um, you know, you, 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 get to, you get to stay home. So mom and dad have a list of to-dos and not to-dos. And so they tell you, okay, you're going to stay home. You're going to watch a movie. The movie's going to start at 8.05. Here's what you're going to do. Uh, the food is ready. And you go get your jammies on at 8 o'clock and you go turn the movie on, push the button, and you start watching the show, and you get the popcorn going at 9.30. At 10 o'clock, we want you to feed the dogs, feed the fish, feed the hamsters. How many other things? Feed the rabbits in the backyard. <laughs> uh, and then you do your teeth, hair, face. Right, teeth, hair, face. We say that all the time, teeth, hair, face. And then you get into the bed, and you can read, and at 10.30 it slides out. Now, that's a great thing, right? Those are the things you need to do. But then there's a couple of things they say. Are you ready? Do not turn on the oven for any reason. Do not open the front door for any person. Do not. All these other things, if you mess up, if you mess up and don't feed the fish, okay. Okay. It's important the fish need to eat, but they'll probably last till the next day. But don't open the door to a stranger. Did you get that one? This is what's going on here. There's one thing that's really important. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the finger. Here's the finger. That uplifted, bony finger. So, now, second, not only the crucial importance, but the comprehensiveness of it all. Comprehensiveness of this one command. It's not, I hope. It's not I plead. It's not I'm appealing to you. It's a command. And it's only one command. It covers every single part of life. We could call this a universal. It's always to be obeyed. It could be translated, only conduct yourselves and keep on conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always, always do this. This is not an on again command. This is not an off at some time command, but it's an always command. Now, I'm going to just share with you, I think some of you know, this is probably, uh, at least everybody in here probably knows something or has been heard, has heard something like this. But in my own life, salvation was taught to me to be a decision. It was taught that it was a prayer. It was taught that it was a box to be checked. And when it was done, you're in no more to be done but as i as i continued what i was taught and what was going on and what i saw i just saw this real disconnect i never heard that there was i repented but i didn't hear that part about keep on repenting i believed but i never heard that part about keep on believing i heard prayed but i never heard that part about praying And so there's this big tension that began to uh, rise up on the inside of me. I would go to church, but I really didn't want to be there. I did it out of habit. I was taught to pray, but I didn't pray. I was told about repentance and belief, but I wasn't repenting and believing. After this decision, I didn't do these things. And so as time went by, I started thinking to myself, I went to one church and this guy started preaching. And I started going, wow, he's saying something I've never heard before. He's saying I should be doing these things all the time. Well, I'd never heard that. I was 8, 9, tw- 20 years old when I started hearing somebody say, this is supposed to be every day. This is supposed to be all the time. And I had to come face to face with the fact that if that's a Christian, I'm not one. Because I didn't pray. I wasn't repenting. I wasn't believing. I was just going out of habit to church. That's a good habit. If there's anything that you remember after this sermon, I want you to remember what I'm about to say. A Christian is somebody who's saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and they're all in all the time. All in All the time. I'm not saying perfectly all in all the time. I'm just saying all in all the time. Remember that. All in all the time. A Christian is somebody who comes and calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and says, I need to be cleansed of my sins. I need a new heart. God, give me what I don't have. And God gives it to you. And then you turn right around and say, Lord, I don't want to be overpowered by any sin. I don't want to be under the dominion of any sin. God, help me to live for Jesus every single day, present tense believing, present tense repenting, present tense loving Christ and loving my neighbor as I love myself. On and on we could go. All in, all the time. This is what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who obeys Jesus Christ whether we feel like it or not. Whether our prayers are answered the way we want them or not. Whether um, my circumstances improve or get better or not. We plead with Jesus to help us walk through this life. Did you all read that prayer? Did you see? This is the prayer that we read at the very beginning. This is Calvin's prayer. The strength of your Holy Spirit, Lord, give us the strength that we may go through the fire and through the water. It's coming. Lord, I'm going to obey you no matter what. Give me the grace to do what you command. So that is the comprehensiveness of it. And finally, let's just, let's don't, let's don't forget this is a command. You know, this is a command. Sometimes we just forget that. It's a crucial command it's a comprehensive command but it's a command what's that mean why 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 should we stop and think about a command well commands regulate us commands tell us what to do and there's nothing more diagnostic my teacher friends there's nothing more I used to I used to train when I was training in the gym I had four diagnosticians. It was so fun to train these women because they talked in letters. ADD, ADHD. They I had so many letters, I didn't know what to keep up with them all. There's nothing more diagnostic than a command. Because how I respond to the command tells me about my condi- the condition of my heart. And so here I tell, this per- I tell a person what to do if I'm a boss and I see how they respond to me. Are they going to give me attitude? Or are they going to give me obedience? Here's this command. It's going to tell you a lot about yourself. Here's this crucial comprehensive commandment. How are you responding? Are you responding with anger? Who are you to tell me what to do? Don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> Y'all ever heard that? Now it's not the preacher telling you what to do. It's not even the Apostle Paul only telling you what to do, but it's the Apostle of Jesus Christ telling you what to do. What are you doing when you hear that? Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you do you respond like Pharaoh? Pharaoh. People make fun of the way I say Pharaoh. Some I think it's supposed to, some people say Pharaoh. I don't know. I just say Pharaoh. 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 Whatever. Moses, you know what Moses says to Pharaoh? He says, let my people go that they may go out and worship uh, their God out on this mountain. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is he? I don't obey anybody but myself. And if you and I respond that way to a commandment, our hearts are not right within us. And we need to ask God for a new one. When you hear the crucial and comprehensive command, are you... Giddy with excitement. Listen to this. In Luke 18, remember the guy, the Pharisee in Luke 18? He's giddy with excitement. Look at that guy back at the back of this temple. He's pounding his breast, beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. But let me show you myself, Lord. Let me show you how proud I am of myself. I am not like other people. I'm not a swindler, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not like that guy back there in the back. I fast two times a week, I pay my tithes, of all that. And you know what, Lord, lately I've heard the Apostle Paul add something to my list. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, I've added that to my list and I'm doing it. I'm the epitome of it all. If you and I add things up and we think that we're going to justify ourselves by keeping these commandments and, and, and go home justified, we're on the wrong side of things. It's the person who humbles himself like the guy in the back of the temple and says he's a sinner who goes home and is justified. Don't be giddy and add this commandment to a list and say, Lord, look at what I've done. These things should humble us. And that's the last point here before we move to the comparison in this command. When you hear this crucial and comprehensive command, do you receive it with humility? Now, Jesus had a brother named James. And his brother wrote this in James 1.21. We are to put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And we are in humility to receive this crucial command comprehensive commandment implanted into our hearts which is able to save our souls. That's how we receive God's Word. We receive it with humility. We're teachable persons. You know, psalmist, the psalmist says in 119 verse 5, he says, I see your standard, O Lord. Oh, that I was like that. That ought to be your heart. I see your standard, Lord. Oh, that I was like that. Oh, I want to obey that. Oh, I want to be like that. I want all my imperfections done away. Oh, that's what I want to be. Well, now, let's look. We've looked at the crucial uh, importance of this command. We've looked at the comprehensiveness of this command. Let's look at the comparison in the command. Now, this, I'll have to say this is really cool. Okay? Okay? Now, I want you to look at the words there in verse 27. We read, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when you take a Greek class and you're you're in your Greek class, one of the things you learn about the Apostle Paul is he likes to use this word peripeteo. And he uses it everywhere. And it means walk. It means conduct. It means conversate, converse. And in this passage... He doesn't use peripeteo. He uses this word polytuamai. And so the commentators argue back and forth. Is he just doing using a synonym? There's all kinds of ways to say love, isn't there? Right? There's five different words for love in Greek. And so is he using this word as a synonym and just saying the same thing? Because polytuamai means conduct, converse, walk. But it also let, let, me, let me let's tease this out a little bit. Polituama. The first word in that two two words that make that one word is polis. Now let me let me flesh it out a little bit more in English. Police. Polis. It means city. Police are city policemen. City state. City state. So, is he using this to make a point? And I think he is using this to make a point. And let's get there. Look at verse 20 in chapter 3. He says, He says this, for our citizenship, that's the noun of this verb, our citizenship is in heaven. So, what's he doing here? I think what he's doing here is he's saying, we can translate it like this. Behave as a citizen worthily of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct yourselves in a worthy manner according to the gospel of Jesus Christ or conduct yourself as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we think about this, think about it like this. He knows he's writing to the church of Philippi, which is a Roman colony. Not very many Jews there. There are men there. they are military men, retired military men who are proud of having served Rome. They're proud of that. Being a Roman citizen had benefits and advantages and privileges. If you were a retired military man, you had a good pension. Remember the Apostle Paul. Why is he sitting in prison? Because he's guaranteed a trial before punishment. If you're a Roman, you have that privilege, that Right? and you have ultimate appeal to Caesar. So there's all these benefits as a Roman citizen, and there's these great obligations to be a good citizen of Rome, ultimately serving the Caesar. Of course, we understand there's a difference about him. he's not our, not their god. But there's no doubt that these men, he's appealing to these men, you're a citizen of Rome. And now he also wants to impress upon them that there's a double allegiance here. You're a citizen of heaven. Be ones who conduct yourselves as a citizen of heaven as well as a citizen on the earth. Just as they are proud to be Roman citizens living in Philippi with all the benefits and all the responsibilities, much more they must see themselves as citizens of heaven... With all the benefits and all the advantages of heaven, and also all the obligations to obey their King Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of God. Not just Caesar, but Jesus Christ, much more, behave as citizens of heaven. So, you and I, we have a double allegiance. We live in the United States of America, we live in a place that Man, I know everything, man, it's difficult to look at what's going on right now, but you know what? This is still the best place in the world to live. Hard to, as as hard as it is sometimes to see what's going on. Winston Churchill said this, indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms of government that have been tried from time to time. We still live in a pretty decent place. Go ask Brittany Griner if she likes being in Russia. Will she When will she come home? It's good to be here. It's good to be here. You can be out of prison. You're going to get a trial. It's not perfect living here. We have great benefits living here. We also have responsibility living here. But our greater allegiance is to our citizenship in heaven. Back to Philippians for Our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does our allegiance to our heavenly citizenship look like? Well, it looks like Christ. Think about the gospel. What does our citizenship look like? Well, it looks like a father who loves a son and loves a people so much that he gives those people that gives people to his son, and his son says, "I love those people so much. I'll obey you, and I love them, and I'll go to the cross for them." It looks like the cross. The gospel is a cross and you and I, our citizenship is going to take a cross shape. You and I are going to be saved by the blood of the lamb and you and I are going to walk out and we're going to try to act like him. We're not going to save anybody by our conduct, but we're going to seek to act uh, in a way that's patterned after his conduct. So as citizens of heaven, we have saving benefits and we have obligations and responsibilities. Now think about it. Where are we? What's the Bible say? The Bible says that we've been enslaved in our sin. We've been enslaved to the system of the world. We've been enslaved to Satan. And then verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive. He raised us up and He seated us in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Where are you? Well, that's one of the advantages. One of the benefits. You are citizens of heaven, but... Man, our feet are still on this earth, aren't they? But he says we're in Christ. And the Bible even takes it further. And he says this in Colossians 3. We read that just a few moments ago. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ. Where are we? Raised up with Christ. Then he says, keep thinking, seeking the things above while you're on this earth. My feet are still here. I see feet plastered to the ground. Gravity holds them there. We're still here, but we're to have our minds set on the things above. where, We're we're, we're sitting with Christ at the right hand of God. We're to keep on seeking the things above, not the things that are on the earth. So here we are, citizens of heaven, enrolled for heaven, and our minds are fixed on Jesus Christ, but my feet are still here. What am I to do with them? (laughs) Well, I'm to conduct myself... in a worthy manner, as a citizen, on this earth, on this planet, as if I am living in heaven. That's true by faith. That's just the not yet part. But it will be in the future. So as I'm here on this earth, you and I, we have hands and we have feet, and we're to use them to serve each other. How do I prove that I'm really there by faith? I live here by faith and I give my hands and I give my feet to the Lord in His service. Not many weeks back, we talked about John 13. Remember, Jesus is seated at the head of the table. Remember, He's seated at the head of the table. He serves them the Lord's Supper. He institutes it all. And all of them, all those disciples are so worried about their earthly power and earthly position. and Who's the greatest? And Jesus gets up from it all. He's almost like He doesn't even address any of it. Just by His only, only by His example. And He gets up. The Bible says that all authority has been given into his hands and he takes dirty feet and begins to wash them. He's saying, listen, listen, this is spiritual. This is spiritual greatness. He doesn't stand up and start barking out commands. He doesn't stand up like a boss and say, now you go mow this yard and you go mow that yard and you do the weeding over here. But he gets up and he takes their dirty feet in his hands and he washes them. Most of the disciples are stunned, but Peter says, "You shall never wash my feet. (laughs) This is not what my Messiah is supposed to do." But that's what he does. He did it that day, that night, and the next day he did it again on the cross. He went even lower. Now listen to these words as Jesus, at the end of all of this, after girding himself up and washing their feet, this is what he is what he does. He goes and he sits back down at the head of the table. He didn't lose his position. This is what he says. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you know these things, happy are you if you know them? No, happier you if you do them we are to to do them. you know this is a side, but and I 'm just throw this out. If you do them, you will learn a whole load of theology you say oh, I, don't know. I don't know I'm not learning very much I'm not learning very much. Go do them, and you will learn a whole load of the Bible. This is what behaving like a christian. A citizen of heaven looks like everything you do is to be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say, in, in when I was growing up, Channel 7, KL, KLTV, Tyler Channel 7, my wife has heard me sing this so many times. There was a commercial, the girls would come on the commercial and they'd sing, Tyler's school say no to drugs, Tyler school say no. And you know what I used to say? Good luck with that. That's what Dr. Phil would say. Good good luck with that. Because that's just a resolution. Does it have any power? Do you have any power to keep that resolution? Let me give you a resolution you can keep. If you connect all your behavior to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll have the power to do it. Now let me give you several examples and then we'll pray. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives but pastor, how do I do that? I'm just a man. I don't have any strength. I don't have any power. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved you. So Christ has loved you. And Christ has laid his down his life for you. And Christ is sanctifying you with his word. And he's washing you with his word. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to present you blameless before his father. Okay, man. As you're connected to Christ, go out and love your wife. You get it? Do you get it? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says again, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. But I can't forgive that woman. I don't like the color of her outfit. I'm just being silly. I I can't forgive that person. They made a mean face at me. He doesn't stop there, though. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So you can forgive because you have been forgiven. It's connected to the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the apostle points to the Corinthian church and he tells them to abound in the gracious work of giving and then he connects it back to Christ. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty... You might become rich. The Christian grace of giving is connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can keep this command as you see it connected back to Christ. Well, let's end with this one. And this is, I, sometimes I, I write down, like, young, this is for the young people. Young people. But I think it's for all of us. So 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this. Flee immorality wow, how do I get away from it all? Everywhere I turn. Everything I hear. Everything I see. i got to be careful with my phone. i got this stuff this stuff's everywhere. Fully immorality. It's everywhere. How do I do it? Well, here's the next part of the verse. For you have been what? Bought with a price. Who bought you? God bought you through the blood of the, the Lamb. You know what? You don't belong to yourself anymore. So you can't just go do anything. So you can go out now and glorify God with your body. It's all connected to the gospel. It's all connected back to the cross. If you see that, you will have the power to do this commandment. Well, we've looked at conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We've seen the crucial importance of the command the comprehensiveness of the command, and we've seen this comparison. And you and I, we are not to be only the best citizens in the U.S. of A., but we're to be the best citizens of heaven who live here on this earth. And we are to present ourselves as obedient unto him to the day that Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Thank you for each one here. We pray that these words would, would go with us, that we would meditate on them and improve them throughout this day. Lord, that we might flee immorality, that we might be husbands who love their wives, that we might be those who are forgiving, that we might be those who, are go- who, who give from our hearts as we all see it connected to the love, the self-sacrifice, that has been laid on, laid down for us. Out of all of that that you've done for us, help us to be full of grace and gratitude to please you. We, have, we are not our own. We belong to you. We've been bought by precious blood. Strengthen us now to leave this place for your glory and Lord, that it might be good for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.